Hello again. Um, welcome. It is a pleasantly overcast Thursday afternoon. Um, this is Be Here Now podcast number two. And I, I do need to apologize for the first one. I ended up listening to it and my headphones were not plugged in to my iP- my iPhone, which uh, the headphones have the mic, so the entire podcast was recorded from my pocket, so that's why the audio was pretty bad, but um, yeah, it should be much better from here on. Uh, so um, after yesterday's experiment, I kind of went back and kind of listened and just trying to get some, some ideas as to how to make these relevant or better. Um, it is it is tough because when I when I listen to anything that I've said, I feel that there was something absolutely essential that was just completely left out or ignored or almost betrayed by uh, word choices or just the the general delivery of whatever it whatever it is. Um, so I wanted to kind of address a couple things from from yesterday's little talk, uh, my little story about. Uh, ascending the emotional uh, boundaries um, out in the Utah desert. Uh, one thing that I that I failed to mention that I think is pretty interesting, pretty pretty cool. Um, so again, just to uh, to reiterate, having been in a in a pretty bad place just emotionally um, in my my entire psychic state, just. Uh, very negative, um, going out to the desert, having this experience where essentially I began from just a, a very dark and fearful, anxious place that for whatever reason I couldn't escape from, um, and I had been dealing with for months and weeks prior to that, and being out in the desert, um, exacerbating that condition, um, so, giving into that fear and um, not just giving in, but really almost pushing it along, really delving into uh, everything that I could, that I could to throw on that fire. Uh, It's kind of a good analogy, stoking the fire. um, Once, once entering one of those emotional states, just, you know, throwing as many logs as I had. And um, a cool little thing that I I wanted to mention yesterday, but kind of uh, overlooked is an image from Hindu mythology that is known as the Bhavra Chakra. Bhavra Chakra. Bhavra means becoming. Chakra means wheel. So the Bhavra Chakra is the wheel of becoming. And um, there are some pretty great uh, classical and contemporary uh, paintings, illustrations of this concept. Um, it's a it's a circle. It's a it's a wheel around which there are a number of different levels with the, the center hub being the, the still point um, from which the Buddha uh, views it. But uh, it's divided further as it goes farther outward from the wheel. But the, um, the part that I wanted to talk about briefly is um, the, what they call the six realms of samsara. Um, samsara is basically everyday life. Samsara is the rat race, if you will. It is uh, created by Maya, the illusion that uh, there is a world at all. 
and uh, these six realms are divided um, based on essentially it's kind of a problem enough to figure this out every time I get a phone call uh, the recording stops so um, back to the, the domains of samsara um, and the bhavra chakra um, essentially it's a circle divided into six domains and uh, each one of them is opposed by another but uh, because it's it's six there is no real middle pos no real middle position they all um, are, are equally distributed um, essentially at the top there is um, the devas the domain of the devas and if we were to make a parallel to Christian mythology that would be heaven um, it's the the realm of the angels and the supreme spiritual successes and opposed from them at the bottom are the deva or the uh, naraka and they are what would be equivalent to those beings confined to hell they are um, tormented spirits uh, wrathful uh, another phone call um, Okay, so we have heaven and hell, the devas and the naraka. And then going up from the naraka, we have the preta. And this is um, pretty much like purgatory. Preta, they are hungry ghosts. That's how they're imagined. They are creatures with enormous bellies and little tiny mouths. So they have very big desires, but very limited means to fulfill them. Um, above them are the animals. And this is, uh, actually, it, uh, the Naraka are directly below humans, are the next level. And um, the human realm is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, where we hang out. <laughs> um, coming up from the other side, there are the animals, uh, followed by the, um, the Asuras, which are basically jealous demons. Um, they are close to the angels, but they aren't angels, so they are um, wrathful spirits, and these are kind of equated to some of the elements of nature, um, that type of thing. Anyway, uh, the reason I bring this up is that I think the best understanding of this, this diagrammatic wheel is not so much like um, the Christian, Christian mythology where we have heaven and hell and nothing else, and they are imagined to be real places where upon death we will be sent. Um, the more intelligent understanding of this Bhavar Chakra and of heaven and hell, really, are that they are states of the human psyche. They are the possible domains of our experience and feeling. And uh, one of the neat things about it is um, it's constantly going around. Uh, so if you're at the top, you have nowhere to go but down. So even if you're an angel, even if you're in, in heaven, um, you get up to the top and you come right back down. And it just goes around and around and around. But um, again, how this relates to my little desert experience um, in retrospect again, is um, really kind of grasping the idea that this outside world that we normally perceive as it is is not a 
It is not predetermined. It's not as if there were these places, these heavens and hells that exist outside of us that we are subject to. Um, I think having having these these emotional experiences, I mean, each and every one of us, uh, we know what hell feels like, you know, we know what heaven feels like, and all of the space in between. And it's not as though these were actual places, they are states of our of our own psyche. So um, that was that was kind of the, the main idea that I really wanted to hit on yesterday. And I feel like I didn't, I didn't quite hit the mark. Um, because it really was a, a pretty profound um, realization that uh, I came back with that um, has been imp- just empowering and very uh, life-vivifying, I guess. Um, the notion that, that we really are creating our own, our own world, our own life and existence and everything in it, and um, being able to sit uh, just completely frustrated and afraid, and just by just by our own doing, the the fact that we have the power to, in a short period of time, um, transform the entire world from a place that is that is just fearful and hellacious into one that is glorious and beautiful and heavenly. The fact that we are able to create that for ourselves under our own volition, I think is really um, what I wanted to get across, just the, just the power of that and the realization of that. I think a lot of um, Christian types or, um, and, and, it, and it's true even to uh, people who practice or um, are otherwise influenced by Eastern mythology just as much, the popular ideas um, are very rigid and not not playful in any sense and so you get these ideas that you know heaven is a real place and it is our it is our goal to get there you know and pack your suitcase because it's somewhere that you're gonna you know be for a while um same with hell and in complete contrast to that just this realization that life is what we make it and uh this isn't supposed to sound too much like, you know, the power of positive thinking or one of those kind of, uh, I don't know, ineffectual uh, concepts, but just this notion that um, nothing is real and everything is real and it's completely up to us to decide what is and what isn't. So we, we draw the borders. We draw the boundaries. Um, so, so that just kind of, uh, I wanted to have another final say before I let, uh, yesterday's, uh, podcast just kind of go by the wayside because I felt that there were some, some pretty crucial ideas that I just, I, w- I didn't convey. Um, with that said, uh, I, see this is, these podcasts are interesting because I kind of have a rough idea, but I don't exactly know. You know, right now I could I could talk about any number of things, so it's it's always kind of tough to decide uh, what is what is the thing to discuss. Um, one one idea that that comes up again and again, and is is very interesting because I still don't have an answer. I still don't have a uh, I, I can't draw a bead on it. But um, the idea of how much 
this this is something that I I talk with McCabe, um, my friend McCabe, quite a bit um, about. It's one of our uh, underlying themes that gets played out again and again throughout all of our conversations. But the idea, how much do you control and how much do you let go of? I think that's going to be a theme throughout most of these uh, little talks because I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. I have a lot to say um, on the on the topic, and I started out very much uh, in one camp where I think I did have an answer. But then, you know, the more the more you dig in, um, any <laughs> as soon as you make a stand on anything, you you see just how. I mean, it all comes back around, so there, there really is no right stand. But um, in on that topic, I don't want to address that topic straight on because I don't think uh, I'm really ready. We're really ready. I think there needs to be a bit more to kind of build up to that. Um, so rather than attacking it head on, I think uh, maybe coming in at it from an angle here, uh, what I wanted to talk about today was an idea that uh, comes up for me again and again, and uh, I've kind of wrestled with throughout my life, um, being one kind of, kind of an artistic type and having a lot of these ideas and these big art projects that I've always really wanted to complete, and then somehow I just always uh, find a way to procrastinate that much longer. And um, the issue at hand... I'll just address it, um, is the idea of why do anything at all, <laughs> really, I think is, is the easiest way to, to put it into words. Why is there a necessity to do anything at all? I think that we all have kind of this preconditioned cultural idea that we are here for a specific mission. You know, we are, and, and it comes from our mythology, uh, the the Judeo-Christian background where life is looked at as a pilgrimage, as a journey that has a has a definite end, and um, all of us are perpetually feeling like there's something that we should be doing. There's always something that we should be doing, and it makes it very difficult to just sit. And uh, having realized that a while ago, I uh, decided that's there was nothing that needed to be done and so i would just sit and in that in that in those periods and i'm actually kind of at one right now uh, where i'm you know I'd, i'm not working much not doing much at all and don't really feel an urgency to but the longer you do that the the more you feel like there is something calling and i and i don't know necessarily if it's some metaphysical truth that we really have in our in our human species this uh, just urgent call to um, accomplish some thing and I guess I should put a little bit more um, context to this because it, it might sound a little vague um, for me the thing that I'm always feeling like I should be doing if anything the the thing I was put here to do um, I have felt, for whatever reason, periodically, that uh, artwork and these types of, uh, uh, 
I don't know, intellectual pursuits really were the reason that I was here, that this was my job. I mean, there were times in my life when I was younger, when I really felt that I was onto something that no one had ever seen before. And it was my duty to communicate these ideas to the rest of mankind. And the deeper you get into what it actually is that would be communicated, the more you come up against, or the more I came up against this, uh, the answer that there really was no urgency, that everybody is doing exactly what they ought to. And not, not ought to in that there's somebody keeping tabs, but ought to in that we are all just doing what we're doing anyway. That to think that we could in some way alter ourselves by our own... Um, <laughs> it's funny because now already it almost sounds like this is flying in the face of what I just talked about. Having just talked about our own um, ability to make life what it is, I, I really believe that. And at the same time, I believe a uh, completely diametrically opposed concept that what we're all doing is the only thing that there is to be done. Um, that really was one of the deeper and is one of the deeper feelings that I experience in those moments of uh, what, call it what you will, cosmic consciousness or whatever, be it on mushrooms or one of these uh, meditative experiences. But just that feeling that I talked about last time that there's not a stone in the um, universe that's out of place, that all of us are doing exactly what it is that we do. And it really can't be any other way. Uh, I mean, not that it can't, but it isn't. So, uh, see, this is one of the things about this this subject is it's so elusive. And as soon as you say anything about it, you see a hundred ways that you're wrong, and that goes in both directions. Whether you're um, <laughs> for it or against it. Um, so, so back to my. Uh, I guess one of the best ways, I just want to look for some way to give a context to this whole talk. So let's do this. Uh, my question now, which I'm, I'm just putting out there and I'm going to kind of muse through here, is uh, why am I even recording a podcast like this? What, what is it that has made me feel, for whatever reason, that it's the thing for me to be doing right now is to be sitting as I am in the greenhouse, in the dirt, drawing little patterns in the sand and just talking to myself with the idea that maybe somebody might actually be interested. Uh, what is it that brought me to do, to do that? Um, because I feel that for the most part, the philosophy that I most subscribe to, the metaphysics, doesn't include the necessity to do that at all. Yet, you know, here, here I am, and here I am feeling that uh, the, the time I spent today going to the gym, climbing, and just, you know, generally faffing about, as it were, um, I could have been creating some beautiful work of art or doing something worthwhile. You know, all the, all the time we spent watching TV is, is worthless. Well, what is, what is the worthwhile thing that we should be doing? Um, that's my question, and I, I don't think it's one that I, I can answer. I don't think it's one that um, really anyone can answer. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll just talk about the things that I've heard that I like. Um, I mean, 
for me, no one has said more about the things I'm interested in than Alan Watts. Um, and he was often known to begin any talk or lecture that he would give by saying that uh, he was not there to improve anyone. He was not there to, to you know, it, convince anyone that he was right or change anyone's ideas. Or I mean, he wasn't there to preach. Uh, what he was doing was just what he does anyway, that he enjoys thinking and talking. And so he's thinking and talking aloud. And he uses an image... Um, you know, a stream just flows downhill and babbles along, and that's what a stream does. And if a thirsty traveler should decide to drink from that stream, then by all means. Um, but it's not, it's not mandated, it's not, it's not the duty of the stream, and it's not... Um, <laughs> if, if you kind of see where that's going, I, I guess... I guess to me that's the best answer that I could uh, really come up with off off the cuff that, you know, I'm sitting here now talking to myself because I enjoy it, because it's a, a conversation that I wouldn't have otherwise. It's a chance to think about these topics um, as if there was somebody here with me. And I think that these types of uh, conversations are enjoyable um, I think that when I was younger, and I think this is a uh, something that we all fall into, especially when we're younger, or, I mean, some people never grow out of it, but there is this kind of moral violence that, uh, that people can inflict on other people, and this, I, I think, is really a, a big downside of um, the religious right, is that um, in their presupposition that they have information that needs to be heard and disseminated and forced upon people, um, in, in taking that up as their duty, they really do their topic, their, uh, their ideas a great disservice because nobody wants to be bombarded with, uh, how they should be doing things. So, um, I feel I'm, I'm kind of wandering around here just in, in the, in the musing about this, um, Another another thought that occurred to me, because as I said, this is something that I have been um, thinking about for quite a while, because it, it comes out in, in periods of idleness, and I feel like there are, you know, just these beautiful concepts that I have in my sketchbook and places that I need to get out, that, you know, the, the world needs to see, or, you know, it's very very egotistical. I think every artist is, is essentially egotistical. Um, when I was creating my best art when I was younger, it was purely ego. Uh, it was the joy of having people look and say, wow, that's amazing. You're amazing for having done that. And um, I think, I don't know if, if art can work any other way. I mean, it, it must. Uh, I mean, there's all different types of art. Um, there's art that just happens, and sometimes that's the best art. But I think like the professional artist or the person who um, is public, the public artist is always is always egotistical, is always um, is always filling and boosting that ego. I mean, even if they're the, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you, they could be a, a very nice person, but there it is. Um, and I came through some of these past experiences. Um, 
you know, that, that desert trip being a, a big one. And then, you know, having gone, gone out to the desert year after year since that, and, uh, my whole dance with psychedelics and that whole, um, that whole chapter of my life, um, really kind of killing the ego. I mean, I worked hard for a long time to, to really kill my ego. And, um, in so doing, it makes the artistic endeavor that much harder because there really is that tough question of, you know, why, why should I even bother, you know, um, which it, it, it almost, it, it kisses nihilism in a way. Um, I think that that's the idea of nihilism and nihilism is just that idea taken to the extreme is that, you know, all things are ultimately lost. And so why, (laughs) why should life be anything but what it is, you know, it's very, it's very negative view. I don't think my view is nearly that negative, although it has this as the content is this idea that there's nothing to be done, that everything that, that is being done is what is going to be done. Um, I wanted to do a whole separate podcast. Uh, I had an idea to just record one that the name of the podcast was you are what you do. And a lot of it is this, um, what I'm talking about right now that, um, uh, I'll save that cause that's, that's a whole nother little topic that I wanted, wanted to touch on. But, uh, you know, uh, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of as it relates to me, um, creating intellectual materials for others to think about or creating artwork images for people to, to view and right now, sitting in the dirt, recording this podcast, uh, you know, why, why have I chosen to do that? Um, this, it, it's hard to, to give these little talks and not make it very, I mean, it still sounds egotistical. I've probably said I about 260 times in the last <laughs> 15 minutes. Um, that's just because I don't have any other vantage point immediately at hand um, from which to speak from. I do know that when I have these these types of conversations with with other people, uh, it might be might be different things that are calling them. But we all have these things that we are particularly good at, or we're just particularly well suited to. Um, I, I I keep mentioning McCabe. He's someone I'm probably going to mention a lot because he's one of the people that I've had these types of talks with the most in the last uh, couple years. And uh, for him, he is the owner of a, well, now a, a very small chain of coffee shops in Fort Collins and is very much plugged into the political sphere, um, local politics and the local business community. And, you know, with everything going on in the world and these great strains and stresses pr- pressed on um, business and just our entire economy and our way of life, uh, there is there is an urgency for a lot of people to figure out, well, how can we... Uh, I actually just got a phone call from McCabe as I'm talking about him. I guess his ears are ringing. And again, my recording stopped. Uh, probably a, a great thing to do at some point would be to actually record uh, a conversation with McCabe. He's a person that has some pretty different... Um, I mean, uh, a similar overall view in some regards but uh just the the daily world that he's in is 
is very different from mine, so he's an interesting person to talk to. But um, getting back to the idea of why do anything at all, and um, from my outside view of his perspective, it's been interesting speaking with him. I'm sure he's not alone in his, uh, his feeling like he has definite responsibility, like uh, the idea that we have nothing to do, um, I think is in some ways liberating, but in other ways even more difficult when you're in a position where your, your decisions influence the lives of others, um, and there's that responsibility. Um, I don't know. It's... Uh, Again, it's one of those problems that I don't really have a full grasp on, and uh, hmm. I guess I'll just share. Um, sorry to be so just all over the place here, because uh, it's not anything that I have like outlined or very well prepared. It's just uh, something that I wanted to bring up. Um, but uh, I guess here's a a piece of of wisdom or just a piece of insight that I've had that made me uh, kind of change my view at one point, um, really feeling like, well, <laughs> if the... I, I wrote this out once in a much more poetic form. I'm going to try and paraphrase it, but if everything is to be eventually just squiggles and sediment and then interstellar dust... You know, what is what is the point? You know, any piece of artwork is going to be squiggles and sediment and then interstellar dust. So why bother? Um, why not just enjoy? Why, why feel that urgency that that is our calling if we know that that is the fate of, of everything and anything that we ever do in our lives? So that, that sounds very negative. Um, that was kind of a, a, a view that I held in my youth after um, kind of confronting some some scary th- ideas and then liberating myself through kind of that uh, that kind of thinking is really realizing and, and like I said in the in that desert experience I realized that everything I had done in my life up to that point and everything I was doing then was was the thing that I was was doing not the thing that I was necessarily here to do like it was predetermined but um, it is what it is. That's something, that that little phrase right there, I think, is is so potent, <laughs> so potent. Um, uh, so, in contrast to that, however, I had a thought one day while listening or reading an Alan Watts book on my back patio, and really realizing how much Alan Watts has changed my universe. That is, uh, I mean, every every day that I wake up and, and look around and see things, I see it in a certain flavor, in a certain light, in large part because of these these great philosophers and these great uh, scholars and people like Alan Watts, Joseph Campbell, Aldous Huxley. Um, these these people have literally changed the the world that I live in, and just because of my understanding of them. And it gave me this whole little kick, this whole little thought that, um, I think this might even have been one of the first times I really came across this thought, 
is how really each and every one of us creates the universe in its entirety. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things like you've never heard of something, uh, some whatever it might be, and then you hear of it once and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then you see it everywhere. And two days ago, it didn't even exist as far as you were concerned. I mean, you had never heard of it. And then as soon as it comes into your awareness, it becomes part of the universe, uh, your universe. And so in that, uh, in that vein, these, these philosophers, these thinkers, these people whose books I've read and who's, who came at a time in my life when I was figuring out the same things but on my own, but then to hear from just this, this vast pool of human insight and to realize that it was, you know, not something crazy that was happening to me, but um, just part of the whole human experience, you know, having encountered that kind of material really was, I mean, it, it changed my entire universe. And so from that, I had this idea that, well, you know, if I if I just uh, live my life and influence people in whatever way by just being myself or by, you know, creating an image or by whatever it is, you know, if I, if any one person um, picks up on that or is influenced by that, through that action, an entire universe has been, has been altered and hopefully in a positive way. So I think that's... Uh, that kind of ties into a, a Hindu image that is known as Indra's net, which is a which is a very uh, powerful image. Um, it's imagined to be a interdimensional spider web, so a spider web that extends in you know as many dimensional spaces you care to imagine, just infinitely in all directions. And at every node of the spider web is a little drop of dew or a jewel. That, that just shines and reflected in every single one of those jewels is every single other jewel in the web. So not only is each uh, dewdrop or jewel um, itself containing every other one, but it itself is also contained in each and every one. And um, that's really kind of the image that I'm, that I'm talking about here is that each and every one of us are containing, uh, we contain the entire universe um, as, as we know it. And likewise, we are the contents of every other universe. So, you know, that's uh, as good a reason as any to do anything at all. Um, I think that it, it almost leads into a whole different line of, of uh, investigation um, not so much the the why, but the how, because um, I think at at one point I, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I mean, that that's a great reason right there. You know, if if I draw some silly little cartoon and someone sees it and then they think about it, you know, I, that that is perpetually. Um, it doesn't matter that the that the sun burns out and the the entire the thing ends because in that in that universe, which is unbounded really I mean each of us I mean you can't remember what the world was like before you were born nor will you remember it after you're dead um, this is all so tangential because it, it really is just one of those things that just twists your mind to think about but um, uh, yeah I mean nothing ever fades I'm uh, 
I'm kind of grasping at straws here for what to, how to wrap this up or if I've really said anything at all. Um, trying to think if there was another little little piece of this that I I mean it's it's multifold there's there's all kinds of little aha moments and understandings and pieces of mythology and human understanding that kind of filter into this this idea um, I guess I guess while I'm rambling um, I might as well just ramble about whatever comes to my mind and uh, the next little thing I mean this idea that each and every one of us is creating the entire universe, all of it. I mean, I, you, you might exist in my universe, but I don't know what yours looks like. Um, and, and this is very apparent when you sit down with someone who is of the Christian persuasion or, or really anybody who is, um, who is different, uh, who has a different view. You sit down with them and, and really talk to them and don't, and don't say you're wrong, but just listen. And, and it's really easy to, to realize that for these, for each and every one of us, um, there is no right or wrong. And when I sit down with a Christian friend and he talks about, you know, God the Father and heaven above, he's not imagining these things. He's not wrong. He, he in his own life has created those things because he um, or they chose to. <laughs> to to an extent it, it's funny i i've used the word choice now a few times and every time i do it um it sends up a red flag with me because one of one of the conversations that i have with mccabe quite a bit and it all ties into the same the same puzzle is uh you know how much do you control how much do you let go of and is there even a choice and it's it's always been my argument that there that a choice is something that's viewed in retrospect that choices don't exist in the present that a choice is having done something, you look back and you say, well, I could have done this and then it would have been different. But there was only ever one thing done and so it wasn't a choice. There were, there were not two outcomes that could have been. There was just the one ever, ever happening outcome. Um, so finding myself use the word choice, I think it's more of a language failure than a, than a concept failure. Um, it's, it's, I still, I still don't know. Um, but, uh, getting back to each individual, um, I actually had a, an interesting day, um, a few days ago, or I guess it was a couple weeks ago, but I was on my way down to, I was on my way down to, uh, my sister's fiance's bachelor party golf extravaganza. And I was already running late, but I pulled off to get gas, and I saw this individual on the side of the road. And um, he was kind of a middle-aged man, probably like 40s, not quite 50. Um, just kind of interestingly dressed. He had uh, these boots that he had obviously walked a lot of distance in. He had a little backpack, and he had just kind of a dirty jacket. I mean, by all appearances, he looked like a hobo, but he had um, a, a white shirt and tie-on underneath. Um, and I kind of saw him as I was pulling in or pulling off the uh, interstate to go get gas. And when I came back to get on the interstate, he was still there and I never miss an opportunity to, uh, have, <laughs> to have an experience that I wouldn't otherwise have. So I rolled down the window and asked him where he was going. And he had this really kick-ass, like uh, British accent. 
And of course, no one with a British accent could be evil. So he got in the car and we cruised on down the road. And I mean, uh, probably 10 seconds elapsed before I knew half of his life story. Um, he, he was a, a traveling Christian who was a, as he said, he was a crusader against the armies of the devil, something to that, to that effect. And he, God had found him when he was in Africa in 83 or something like that. And ever since he had been traveling the country, praying for people. And his whole kick was fasting. As he said, he had this like Irish British accent. And he said to me, ah, brother, if you want to get the big miracles, you have to fast. Fasting is how you get the big ones done. And he told me this whole, uh, this whole long um, sequence of events that had occurred in his life and all of these people that he had fasted for and all of these miracles that had been produced because of the fasting and, you know, curing people with cancer and curing AIDS and, you know, all of these marvelous miracles. And I, I enjoyed thoroughly this, this, ex- this experience to listen to a person like this talk. And it, it's absolutely obvious to, to me that to, to him, everything that he's talking about, it's, there's no question whether it's right or wrong. It, it is what it is for him. And uh, I think we, I think it, beho- <laughs> it, um, it almost empowers us to realize when we talk to anyone and everyone that everybody has their own... Uh, Nobody is more or less qualified to determine what the universe is. And everybody does that anyway, simply through being alive. So for this, this person to share with me these experiences and talk about God, and we pulled over on the, when I let him, when I let him out, we pulled over and uh, he asked me if I would pray with him. And of course I said yes. And uh, he gave me a piece of the wailing wall from Jerusalem to hold and the stack of communion cups that he was traveling with. And, you know, I held on to them and I, I listened to his, uh, I mean, he basically shared with me in with, without knowing it, but just in the words that he used and the way that he addressed the Supreme spirit or whatever, um, God, the father and Jesus Christ. I mean, I was able to tell so much about how he saw the world and it was an it was an entire universe that was being created just by his life and um, I being a very small little I mean he's presumably out there right now um, in his in his world with his God and his Christ and um, making his way uh, I don't think any one of us has any right to tell anybody else that they're right or wrong about anything. Uh, because we really do draw the the borders. We are the ones individually who, for ourselves, decide what the boundaries are of, of every concept that we encounter. Every word that we have, every every emotion, every everything um, is completely unique to each of us. Uh, this this to me came very strongly um, on a substance called salvia divinorum. Um, which is a member of the mint family and a very, very interesting psychedelic plant. Um, It's not like other psychedelics except maybe like DMT or uh, one of those kind of just knock you out of the, the, (laughs) knock you out of the stratosphere type uh, dissociative um, 
psychedelics, but um, I haven't taken that in a while. But every time that I did, it struck me just like dynamite that uh, in these dissociative experiences where I literally it felt that um, I would have these moments where it was like, oh yeah, like I am somehow related to this little creature who has a name, who has this life, who has these thoughts and has done these things. Like, oh yeah, like, is that right? That just doesn't seem like that's even possible. It is unfathomable and almost laughable to even think that that whatever it was that I was that was having these thoughts was somehow bounded into that kind of a life. And, um, I mean, it's, it's very strange, and it's something that you really have to experience in order to fully uh, grasp here. But um, one of the things that is recurring with that substance every time that I've taken it is that the content of the trip is always obviously directly pulled from my past life and experiences. There is nothing new coming in. Um, and in the same way, life being a trip, uh, we, we have these sensory inputs that we see these things, but the content, the, I mean, even the sounds, when somebody's talking, it's not so much that we're hearing a new sound, especially with words or things that we have, these preconceived patterns, uh, these, these pre pre-recorded patterns uh, in our heads, it, they, they come out to us. We, somewhere in there, those are stored and they are brought back out. So on these uh, salvia trips, on the lower doses, or even, I mean, the higher, yeah, the higher doses, there's, you, yeah, there, blah. <laughs> um, but at kind of like lower levels or even coming back down, uh, one of the recurring um, uh, experiences that I have on that, the best, the best term that I could, uh, put to it is the, uh, momentary trans-dimensional zipper is what, uh, is what it feels like. And it's as if you take your hands and spread your fingers out as wide as they go and then kind of let them roll together and let your fingers interlock. And just that kind of like a stitching together of, of something. And then imagine that, uh, not just five fingers interlocking, but an infinite number in each direction, and then take those and make them an infinite number deep, and just constantly with each cycle, almost like a, a computer clock cycle, they just zip together, zip, 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 just like coming in waves, and they're not fingers, they are, they are these distinct little packages coming together, but each of them are, I mean, composed of, and this is the weird thing, and this is just going to sound like crazy, <laughs> craziness, which it really is, but um, each, each little finger is a constantly changing expressance of, excuse me here, I have to sneeze, <coughs> excuse me, um, an upwelling of, of imagery and sounds and smells and everything from life lived so far. They're childhood memories. They are noises and sounds and all these little language pieces that have been heard and stored all just kind of coming together. It makes me think of uh, Terence McKenna and his trans-dimensional linguistic objects. I mean, it's, it's language made solid, but it's it's familiar. It's, it's absolutely familiar. It's not other. It's completely 
it's completely you uh, or whatever. Um, the whole I, I bring this up because it's interesting. It's fun to talk about. Salvia is crazy, and it's uh, a very interesting psychedelic. But um, this idea that the universe is created by each of us, and to the extent that on a on a trip like that, a salvia trip, the the content of the trip is all there to begin with. It's uh, it's not images from someone else's mind. It's uh, something I might have heard or seen when I was a child, or or anything like that. Um, the the feeling that I get from salvia and some other psychedelics and mushrooms on a to an extent, um, but feeling like a child in their bedroom, uh, like laying in a crib, looking up at the ceiling and just regarding everything that is seen as as self, really, as um, as being there because it's being observed, and really, I think they call that the oceanic feeling, the oceanic concept, they say uh, infants have um, no borders between themselves and what they're seeing and how they're feeling and what their, you know, what their bodies are doing. It's just this whole oceanic continuum. But, but those pieces are individual. And I mean, who knows how many of them are shared? Who knows how many, you know, if if there were some way to compare two people's, the contents of their mind, you know, how many things would actually be, uh, or how you could even define them as being identical or being the same. Um, because it's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, any of these kind of conversations is like a dog chasing its tail. It's the Aurea or the uh, Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. Because here, having now ranted for going on, you know, 10, 15 minutes about how each of us are creating the universe, which we are, you know, Indra's net, um, each of us containing it all and being contained by each other. Um, so having just talked about that, uh, I, I also feel completely that um, the, the idea that we have of individuality is... Um, a useful social convention, but not not grounded. See, and, and like I said, this this sounds completely diametrically opposed to what I've just been just been talking about. But um, uh, I I really subscribe to the the Buddhist or Hindu concept of the self that there is the one self playing itself out in all of these different forms that. Even though each of us is creating the universe, I mean, each of us is a, is a big bang. I mean, we we come in and we go out, and there's nothing on either side. Um, it is it is the whole thing from beginning to end. Um, but that being said, that that each of us is just the one the one cosmic player playing all of these things out over infinite time. Uh, this is a feeling that I get very strongly, very apparently, when traveling and seeing how many people there actually are living on this planet, and just going about their business, going about their days, and they all have the same, you know, basic worries and fears, and they're all doing basically the same thing. And you know, you could fly to Chicago, drive three hours out into the suburbs, and you know, there will be a gas station clerk sitting there who you know, has a whole life story and is, you know, you go to their house and it's full of all these little things that only they see. It's just this whole, it's almost, 
uh, I mean, I, I mean, this this feeling really comes out, especially in like crowded subway platforms, where you just see all of these people, and it's it's like looking at an ant colony. And if you look at an ant colony, or just like you know, in the springtime, there'll be those patches where the ants are just like erupting onto the surface, and they're just so thick they look like this one uh, swarm, this one creature moving. The, the whole idea of like a super organism, and you you see people moving in the way that we are just uh, pre-programmed to to do the thing that nature is doing anyway. And uh, how, can, how can there really be individuality in that? Uh, the, the individual obviously is there, obviously is important, obviously, as I've been going on about, creating, creating for themselves an entire universe, yet they are just a stitch on a quilt that is infinite in all directions and interrelated to everything. Uh, I mean, at this point, I really am just kind of just kind of musing and rambling. I, I really don't have any conclusion or point that I'm trying to make other than just uh, to to kind of vocalize some of these crazy thoughts. I mean, for me, it's just it's just amazing that the world should be this way at all. That that anything should be at all, and that that having there having there be something that this is what it is. It's uh, it's amazing. So. Uh, I should probably wrap this up. I've I've gone on and on uh, long enough now here, uh, as the Ouroboros, <laughs> and I I could go on infinitely uh, chasing my tail, but uh, try and try and tie some of these little loose uh, fragments together here in some way for some reason. Um, so I'll conclude with uh, me for whatever reason. Uh, trying to convince myself, for whatever reason, that for whatever reason, uh, what I'm doing right now is is a worthwhile pursuit. That uh, talking to myself here and drawing this pattern in the dirt, uh, whether or not anyone hears it, that uh, I've enjoyed it. And if anybody happens to be hearing these words, uh, I will I will feel marvelous at knowing that uh, through through the doing of my life and what I do and what you do that we've uh, converged in some sense and that uh, part of me will be going with you and and hopefully vice versa so uh, with that I will conclude and I will thank you for listening and uh, look forward to ranting again soon My reasoning was whatever the discussion that we're talking about having has the one thing that I feel like you can conclude is that a concerted effort towards a goal can result and is more likely going to result based on a consistent effort at a goal to reaching that goal, right? You know what I mean? Like some kind of somewhere like that, where like my ability to say I want to do this or see this or have this or whatever it might be. If I think about that, focus on that as far as I'm, all my things I try to do around that, most likely I'm going to acquire that goal. You know what I'm saying? So whether it's like it's going to happen or not or whatever else we want to talk about, that's kind of the truth. You know what I mean? Well, I guess, yeah, in order to do anything, you really have to have some sort of intention. The idea of goal setting is interesting, though, because depending on what the goal is, if it's unreasonable, I mean, it's still keeping you moving in that direction, but... But unreasonable is a character judgment. 
It's true. I mean, it's, I mean, it's really all a value judgment. That's what I mean, though. So, like, is that, so the motivation is what feels good in the end. You know, like, and because that's only with the generation around right now because the motivation of 100 years ago was survival. You know, I mean, like, for a lot of people, and even like a thousand years ago or however long ago, the motivation was much different than the field That's kind of a whole other generation. topic, though. I would argue that even though we're not thinking about survival because we've been kind of trained not to, because we've just been hand fed, um, I don't see why survival shouldn't be the, the focus now. Because we're convenience, because we have these amenities to our life where we don't feel like we but need to survive. But that's under the assumption that those are going to remain in place. Absolutely. But that's the feeling, is that people don't feel as though it's in a situation where it's going to all collapse immediately. That the amount of rate that it would collapse is one that I can adapt to, is the attitude. You know what I mean? Whether that's true or not, I'm just saying that's the attitude.